Toasties. I'm Missy. And I'm Jonesy. And welcome to our Toasted Shenanigans. Uh, what, what you drinking? I'm a creature of habit here today. I have a Moscato again. <laughs> Go figure. Go figure, yeah. I, uh, I like what I like, okay? I think the listeners need to give you a couple drink suggestions. I mean, I would... Open up, a, open up your drinking... Uh, maybe they can, uh, find us on Toasted Shenanigans on Instagram and drop in a few of your drink requests. Maybe I'll pick yours and let you know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what you got over there? I got one of my favorites. Ooh. I got me some whiskey. Whiskey. I do like whiskey. I got me some apple crown whiskey. Apple crown. With some little bit of Sprite. Just a splash. Just a splash. In your... Pray about it, girl mug. Pray about it, girl. I yeah. feel like that's almost a little fitting for yeah. uh, what we're talking about today. Pray about it, but that don't work. The whiskey will. The whiskey will, yeah. I like whiskey. I like uh, Honey Jack. I do like Honey Jack, actually. I'm not a big fan of Jack Daniels. I think it tastes like turpentine. I am not a fan of Jack but Daniels, but I love the Honey Jack. I do like the Honey Jack. I love the Honey Jack. Um, my favorite is the Jim Bean Red Stag. That on some ice is delicious. Yeah, I can drink that just by itself. Yeah. Goes down way too easily. That I agree. But no, I love whiskey. I'm a whiskey lady. Whiskey is delicious. So grab your guys' drink, come get hydrated with us as we talk about what are we talking about today? We are talking about Joanne Tate. Ooh. Um, so I came across this story actually listening to another podcast. Yes. Um the name of that podcast is called The Real killer so if you've got the time i highly recommend going and listening to it i'm just gonna you know kind of touch on you know the brief base story of it um i can't go into all the details um the the i forget her name but uh who did the podcast did a phenomenal job and she's actually like investigated and you actually hear witness testimony um you get to basically know everybody and it's about 10 to 13 episodes. Like I said, if you have the time, I highly recommend it. It was a great one. Um, I also watched about this case on, what was it? It was Crime Watch Daily. I heard, yeah, I heard the story on there. Um, I watched on YouTube. So I would definitely recommend that too as well. Now that one is in like two parters. It's kind of how like this story will be too as well. Yeah. This is going to be a two part. Yeah story so you guys um, are gonna have to come back for the rest of it later definitely because this one's a doozy and it's uh it's really fucked up what happened and it's way fucked it, up. it ruined many people's lives basically yeah. um but i'll give you a little bit of you know what i took away from the real killer and in the next one we'll go through and talk about more about the forensics and the conviction Mm-hmm. and maybe talk a little bit about who possibly it was. Which I'm excited to learn a little bit more about him, and he'll be another story on our... Yeah, it's... it's. will be another episode for you guys, so you'll have to definitely come back on that one, because that one is a fucking doozy. Yeah, it's just something that just keeps on going. But anyways, let's get into it. Um, Like I said, we're going to talk about Joanne Tate. This happened in the early 80s. 1982. Uh, yes. And uh, Joanne was basically, she was, they were very much so family people, um, but she grew up also in a house that didn't have a whole lot of love. 
Like mm-hmm. there wasn't a whole lot of affection. Not necessarily saying that they didn't love each other. It just they wasn't just just, shown a whole lot. They weren't the touchy feely kind of family. Yeah, and um, she was described to be a very amazing woman, sister and mother, very protective of her children. Um, oh. And sometimes she may have been a little bit too loyal and trusting too, as well. Mm. Um, she tend to see the best in people. Versus for who they actually really were. Oh, fuck. I know a couple people like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She was uh, a very beautiful woman, but she was a larger woman with curves. So that obviously took a toll on her self-confidence. Hey, curvy girls are the best. They are. Um, But it was the 80s. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Bullshit. And she definitely took pride in her appearance and whatnot, mm-hmm. but she also went looking for love in all the wrong places. Mm. Um, she definitely struggled with her choice in men, um, starting with her first marriage. Her first marriage, she did have a daughter, um, who at the time of the, the crime is 17. You really won't hear much about her, um... Oh, I didn't she know prefers, that. Yeah, she prefers to stay anonymous, so I'll I'll just leave it at that. Okay, I didn't know she had an older Mm-hmm. Yeah, she daughter. had three daughters. Yeah, I knew she had the two. Um, I did not know she had a third. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but basically, the marriage became pretty abusive to the point where, you know, Joanne was a regular patient at the hospital. Oh, no. Yeah, so I think she just, you know, finally came to realize what... You know, her and her daughter deserve better. Okay. So good, good on her. Yes, absolutely. Fuck that man. Nobody deserves that. Nobody. Um, but anyways, she went back home, um, in hopes for a better life for, for her and her daughter. Mm-hmm. Now, when she arrived back home, unfortunately, she actually got into a really bad car accident. So, her brother, her younger brother, who I believe was, I think he said like eleven or thirteen at the time. I don't know. Um, I could have gotten that wrong, but basically he was in the car with her and a drunk driver had struck them at 70 miles per hour oh head on. Oh my gosh. Um, he was injured, but basically if it wasn't for him walking away, trying to go find help, that would have been it for her. But. Like she would have died in that car? Yeah. Oh, so her little brother. Yes. Saved. Because mm-hmm. he was hurt, but still able to move. Yeah. He was able to go get help. And, again, this was even, what, in the 70s, this was before cell phones. Uh, like, like yeah. I was saying in Slenderman, like, yeah. So thank fucking God for cell phones, yep. because, like, could you imagine seeing a situation and be like, mm-hmm. I have to walk away from this and hope to goodness when I come back that person's alive. Yep. But she broke three ribs, Oof. her sternum, oh. her hip in multiple places, oh. her leg, arm, and chin. And chin? Yeah. Because of the steering wheel. Oh. She was told by numerous doctors that she would never walk again. Um, however, Joanne refused to let that stop her. She's, you know, I've got to provide for my, my children. You know, I'm, you know, I got to do what I got to do. So right. that being said, uh, her injury, inj- injuries, injuries, sorry, um, mm-hmm. were enough to keep her away from work. But she still had to do what she had to do. So she would actually go around, collect cans for recycling to sell. Probably back when it was well yeah. worth it. I mean, it's still worth it. Please save the planet. Please recycle. But 
And then on the side, she also would, you know, she sold Avon around the neighborhood. Oh, Avon was the shit back then. Yeah, it was very big. It was very, a very big. big and upcoming. Very um, big. Avon calling. Yep. <laughs> My mom actually did it back in the day. I tried to do it. I could never do that. It was, it was 2010. I'll just say I was not successful. <laughs> I'm not telling Avon anymore, guys. Um, but anyways, financial issues were not her only struggle. Uh, really, her choice of men was really... Still a struggle. Yeah. And... She had a type. Yeah. Oh, no. Unfortunately, was, she did. Where do you think... Like, where was that learned? Like, I understand her family was loving but and not affectionate, like, and touching and stuff, but, like... I think just because she saw herself in a negative way that she just lowered her standards. It had to have been. Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes you always wonder, like, how does a person, like, find somebody so horrible when they were were in a home that had mm-hmm. examples of great kind of kindness? That or her love language is touch. Yeah. And that's all she ever wanted. Because that's a thing, too. Yeah. It's just, I really think she looked down on herself, and it is a shame to hear that. But. Yeah, it is. Don't do that, guys. No, please don't. Um. But yeah, she she definitely lowered her standards and met all the wrong men. That's so um, awful. I will say that she had many relations and went on many dates with many men um, and was even married a few times. Uh, oh, gosh. And it's the 80s, so that's like... Yeah. Uh, but she did leave a diary about these dates and the men that she had been on these dates with recalling any kind of details or where they went, who they were. That's kind of smart. Yeah. Um, so good on her, but what didn't seem right about this was on the very first page, Joanne had left a message for the finder of the diary. That's and, weird. Yeah. And this, it's like she knew something bad exactly. was coming her way. That's so weird. Um, and when they actually, they found this diary when going through like searching for evidence and whatnot. And when they found the diary it was underneath her mattress with a hatchet and a magazine. So obviously she felt threatened enough she to sleep on top of a yeah. Was so something right. was not right. Oh, um, poor girl. Yeah, it, it this this story is just really, it's awful. It's shocking. Um, but her warning on her diary was verbatim. I'm only writing all of this down in case something would happen to me. You would know where to look, and people I was with. Oh shit. So she knew she was with bad people. That's what I'm saying. Like she still knew at the end of the day what it was wrong. Oh, that's even like, I feel like it's even worse. Yeah. She knew she was doing was wrong. Yet she still kept doing it. Mm-hmm. But with her other marriage, she had two other beautiful daughters. Um, obviously it didn't work out. She moved into an apartment with um, her daughter who was seven at the time of the crime and her other daughter, who was four at the time of the crime. That's Melissa and Renee? Correct. Um, so I will go ahead and start going into the actual details of the crime. But I do want to let everybody know um, this episode does contain graphic content. So yes. if you are any way affected by anything sensitive, please do not listen. Um, so it was April 27, 1982. Yeah. And this happened at four o'clock in the morning. Oh. Uh, it was at 1418 Ferris Street. 
And this was in St. Louis, Missouri. But... Midwest again. Yeah. Something in the water. But anyways, Joanne's seven-year-old daughter woke up to a loud commotion in hearing her mother scream. Oh my gosh, I can't even... Like that already... And basically the way the the apartment was set up was like from the girl's bedroom, you could see across to mommy's room, but you could also see across to like the living room and stuff too as well. Okay. So it's more like a little bit open. Oh, which is pretty like progressive in the eighties to have an open concept type. Yeah. And, um, obviously she left the doors open, open while the girls well, were sleeping. Seven year old. Yeah. Four, what, four years Four-year-old, yeah. Yeah, you're going to leave doors open because you want to, I don't know. I remember being young and every, all I don't the doors think were they, yeah, open. I don't think they ever closed the doors. Now, I feel like that's younger. more of a current thing that it's encouraged to keep your doors closed while you sleep because of, like, in case of a fire at night, supposedly having your doors shut. Is yeah, because if like, you open it, the air coming in. Yeah, is going to feed the fire yeah. more. So now you're encouraged to sleep with your doors closed. But I remember, like, as a child, like... You slept, the, the doors were always open. My bedroom door was always open. My parents' bedroom was never open all the way. It was, like, cracked as a kid, it, but it was never shut all the way. But my room was open. My my siblings' rooms were open. I think it was more so my household was just, like, fuck, make sure these kids are actually fucking sleeping, doing what they're supposed to be doing, well, that and night, not staying up. Like, we didn't have nightlights or anything when I was a kid. And this, now for me, 1982, I was a, I was a, twinkle in my daddy's eye like i wasn't, yeah, we I wasn't born then yeah we weren't thought of yet um but like we didn't have night lights our night light was the hall light so our door was open to let the hall light into our bedrooms shit i don't even remember having night lights at all because i remember doing the thing like where you had to get up in the middle of the night and go use the restroom and like sprint for your wife because the boogeyman <laughs> was right behind you <laughs> slenderman <laughs> yeah. um but anyways back to the case um so Seven-year-old Melissa hears their mother screaming, hears a commotion, um, and like any curious seven-year-old, uh, she sits up in bed to see what, what's going on. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, she's, like, looking out, and when she looks out, uh, she can see her mom, who is laying on the floor. Oh, gosh. And beside her is a naked man. Oh, gosh. Um, and Melissa just kind of... Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even be able to talk at this point, especially as a seven-year-old. But she asks the man, why is mommy on the floor? And the intruder takes time to assure her mommy's just sleeping. Well, Melissa seems to recognize the voice she recalls when she hears this man talk. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, she's seven. She can't really seem to place who it is. Well, like, think about it. Like, how far back do you remember? How old are you? At seven, I don't know if I remember much from when I was... The biggest thing I remember around... I wasn't even seven, I was six, is I broke my arm. I mean, I don't... Like, I I remember stuff from my childhood, but in that direct moment where you're, like, just... You remember at that exact age, I don't remember that stuff anymore. Right, that's what I'm saying. That's crazy. Um, but anyways, so... In his own way to try to soothe Melissa and comfort her. That just gave me the creep. Yeah. He's a this, naked man trying to soothe a seven-year-old. Yeah, just 
and guys beware remember this contains a lot of graphic content so if you can't listen don't um the intruder comes over to melissa picks her up and carries her into her mom's room and he lays her on the bed and sexually assaults her now melissa evidently you know knows this is wrong but you, you, at the same time she's terrified and this guy tries to force Melissa to perform oral sex on him. And she actually decides to fight back and she bites him in exchange. Good girl. Um, now this pisses him off. Of course. Um, and that they bite it. Yeah. She remember, recalls certain parts and says that she remembers seeing him hiding a knife. And that's why she was trying not to upset him. But at this point, it's too late. And enraged, he stabs her multiple times over and over and over again. And Melissa just stops fighting, hoping he'll just go away. Oh, honey. Um, he does cease. And she thinks that it's she's good to go. She can running and like get away get to her sister you know get to her mom get help um to stab repeatedly and again still thought she yes. can get up like these kids apparently we have a, a trend here going already mm-hmm. of these children being stabbed and then getting up and running i guess like it's just their adrenaline it has works to be. differently um but he catches her and he slams her back onto the bed he stabs her once more in the chest and then slices her from her vagina to her rectum. Oh, no. He gave her a episiotomy. Yeah. Um, um, this guy's a shitbag, obviously. Clearly a fucking shitbag. Um, oh, sweet baby girl. Yeah. In survival mode, Melissa, she plays dead. And this part, like, just absolutely shocks me. Because you're seven years old. And, like, you're smart enough to just think... Play dead. dead. And she went to the very most part where she was even trying to control her breathing so he wouldn't see her chest moving. Oh, baby. Um, so he thinks that, you know, she's gone. Um, he actually goes into the kitchen to wash the knife. Fucking dick. Yeah. Fucking dick. Um, now Melissa takes this opportunity once again, uh, she goes to her four-year-old sister and doesn't hear some stirring, doesn't make it, like, to her exactly in time and just hides underneath the bed. Um, and she recalls to be one of the most terrifying noises in her life is hearing his boots walking back into Oh, so he got dressed. Bedroom. Yeah, at some point in time. Or maybe he was just naked with his boots on. I'm not entirely sure. Who knows? Um, but he stops at Renee's bed. Renee's the four-year-old. Mm-hmm. And uh, demands that Renee tell him where her bigger sister is. And Renee's just crying. Like, she's four. She's four and also is probably, like, sleeping or something. I think with all the commotion. She probably did wake up. Yeah, she's yeah. woken up and whatnot. You don't hear a lot of Renee's story just because she was so young and unfortunately now um, 
Renee is no longer with us. She did pass. Yeah, I did read that. She yeah. passed of cancer. Yeah, she passed of cervical cancer. Yeah. Um, but anyways, he's demanding that Renee tell him where her sister is. Um, and all she can do is just cry. Melissa then recalls that all she sees is the bed start to shake and the blood just pour to the floor. Oh, golly. Um, he has now assaulted Renee and sliced her throat. <gasps> and Melissa can't do anything but just lay there and cry and wonder why no one is helping them and who is going to miss her when she dies. Oh, baby. Um, so due to shock and blood loss, uh, Melissa drifts in and out of conscious unconsciousness. Uh, she comes back for a brief moment and she actually sees this motherfucker sitting at the end of his mom, her mom's bed, smoking cigarettes and watching TV. Dick. Yep. Um, again, she can't really keep her eyes open. She slips away again. Um, when she comes back to this time, it seems that the intruder is gone. So she actually gets up to check on her baby sister. Mm -hmm. And she describes it as trying to like communicate with her sister, but she can't because Renee is just covered in blood at this point and she mm -hmm. can't make out her sister's face. And remember her throat was sliced. Yeah. So it's not like she's communicating very well at all. She's just crying. And Renee is crying or Melissa's crying. Renee is crying. And Renee or Melissa recalls and says that Renee's tears are actually just tearless. She knows she's crying. But they've been through so much trauma and blood she had, loss. There's she had no more yeah, tears left. To they're cry. dehydrated. Yeah. There's nothing left in them. Oh. Um, but she kind of understands that, you know, she, Renee wants water. Mm -hmm. Um, so she gets up, stumbles her way into the kitchen. Um, she sees the blood everywhere. She's, you know, very coherent of what she once called a home is now a bloody nightmare. The fact that this seven year old child is able to recognize her baby sister needed mm -hmm. water, mm -hmm. gets up knowing what happened between her legs, and walks. Mm -hmm. Like, this is the power of adrenaline. Yes. This is absolutely. the power of fucking absolutely. adrenaline. Because that's probably what kept this. Again, someone was with this baby girl. Absolutely. During this time. She had a guardian angel on her on her side during she that She had time. to have. Her, um, but she goes to her mother first. And she's just like, this, this part just breaks my heart when I heard her describe it. She's just like pleading and begging with her mother to wake up. Please wake up. They need help. Please wake up. Oh, no. Um, and she's seven. And like she had stated earlier, like, why is nobody helping them? Where is my mom? Where's the cops? Like, you don't understand how that works. Right. You you're just, seven. You're thinking mommy's going to come and rescue us. Yeah. And mommy didn't come and rescue us. But little does she know now... Mommy's not waking up. Mommy yeah. is rescuing them right now. Correct. So Joanne uh, doesn't move. She's not waking up. She's obviously gone. Um, Melissa continues her way to the kitchen for her sister's water. 
and she then describes because getting the water and where he was washing the knife there's blood everywhere mm. so again each step through what's supposed to be a home it's just another nightmare for her oh baby but she brings back the water to her sister and her sister's trying to drink it and melissa just notices that it's just spilling from her throat yeah that's how deep he had sliced her throat how renee was still living i have no clue i how any of them um, well, as you said, she noticed her mom was gone, so yeah. clearly her mother didn't. But how those two girls... I have no idea how they how they survived, especially with all... Like, I saw some of the crime scene photos. It was the worst I've ever seen. There was a lot of blood. Um, it was it was a nightmare. Um, but Melissa, at this point, you know, that's a lot for somebody who just went through what she just went through. She's, She's exhausted. Well, not just that, just, like, what's physically happened to her. Yeah. She's exhausted. She can't go on anymore. She decides that she's just going to lay back down in her bed. So she lays back down and slips away again. And she doesn't awake until later that morning when she hears a loud knocking at the door. And obviously, she's terrified to answer the door. Uh, Obviously. Thinking that this man... Is back. Is back. Because this time you know he's going to knock at their door. Yeah, I don't, I heard, so somebody said something about there was like a terrace window or something open and maybe that's how they, he entered, but listening and getting to know the case a little bit more, it definitely seems it was somebody they knew and that Joanne had lit into the house. Mm. Um... That's basically what happened that night. Um, we're going to go into the early hours of the next morning. Okay. Well, not the next morning. Still the same day because this happened at 4 a.m. Yeah. Um, but. So there's a knock at the door. Yeah. So Joanne had a current boyfriend. I couldn't find anywhere it said how long they've been together or whatnot. But his name was Jerry and evidently he was freaking out. Because he hadn't heard from Joanne, and I guess they were supposed to meet up or something. Okay. Um. So, knowing that, like I said before, they were close family. So, she calls her little brother Nate, the one she was, or he calls her little brother Nate, the one she was in the car accident with, uh-huh. to see if she's over there, because they spent a lot of time together. Uh-huh. Nate doesn't take anything of it, but he's like, no, she, I haven't heard from her, and she's been, been not been around, but... I'll call my other siblings and see, you know. How many siblings does she have? Uh, I can't recollect okay. at the moment. She had a couple. Yeah, there was a, f- a few of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but he tries to call her herself. She doesn't answer. And then she he calls all the siblings. None of them have heard or seen Joanne. Mm-hmm. And uh, he calls his mom. Okay. Nobody's heard from Jan. So he's now he's thinking, he's like, okay, this is a little unlike her to not answer the phone for all of us. Okay, so she's, again, it's not a touchy-feely family, but they do stay in contact yeah. with each other. Yeah, it was just a house that okay. didn't have a whole lot of affection in it. Okay. Um. 
So Nate at this point is pretty unsure like what to do. And he says that all of a sudden he just feels a voice telling him go. Probably hers. Yeah. And him and Jerry decide to take a ride over to Joanne's apartment. And that's when they're both knocking at the door. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that's what Melissa hears, but she doesn't know. No. Um, but Jerry, or Nate, again, just is like, this is not right for her to not answer the door, not answer the phone. Mm-hmm. And he says he hears that voice again. And it says, push, push the door. So he actually just opens the door. And is able to go in. So it was unlocked. Yeah. Which is probably for him. He's still like, what the fuck? Well, yeah, because the intruder, I'm assuming. Didn't lock behind him. Obviously. Um, but I just think, uh, what stood out to me in that, and not saying that he had anything to do with it, but if you're knocking, like, one of my first instincts would it be, like, if I'm freaking out, like, I would turn the, the knob. Would you not? What do you mean? Like, like you're, it? No, like you're freaking out trying to figure out where your older sister is. Oh, would you like knock and open the door at the same time? Like Yeah, like I would. Yeah, I yeah would, okay, okay. I'm like, what are you what are you talking about? Yeah, no, totally. I would I've done that. Like even with my kids, I've done that. Like I've yeah. literally like just barging like, what are you doing? But anyways, he opens the door. Um the first thing he notices is his naked sister lying on the floor. Oh, she was naked. Yeah. So he was naked and she was naked, or was she, when she saw mommy, mommy had clothes on, but later he stripped her down. She didn't recall, because everything I got was from her own words, her own testimony. So if that was something she saw, it wasn't something that... She instantly remembered. No, she just knew that... she knew mommy was on the floor. She remembered mommy was on the floor. Oh. Um, but he opens up the door, notices his naked sister is in the room and there is an object sticking out of her. And then he notices the amount of blood that is absolutely everywhere. He recalls it was on the ceiling. It was on the walls. It was on lampshades. curtains. It was everywhere. Fucking goodness. Um, obviously he runs over to Joanne. Um, and he can tell as soon as he goes to touch her, the she's cold. She's gone. She's gone. Oh gosh. And he immediately calls the police. And according to Nate, they aren't taking him seriously. They think he's just a lunatic making some kind of sick fucking joke. Who fucking jokes about that? Who calls me like, oh my gosh, I'm at my sister's house and she's dead. And they're like, ha ha ha, good one. April Fool's. Well, remember, this was the 80s. I don't fucking care. That's not a joke. Well, not a whole lot of, like, people have heard of a whole lot of crime. Like, they didn't have access to it like we did. So something like this probably just seemed, like, mm. abnormal to them. There was crime. It's just... Yeah, that's another episode, guys. <laughs> whole other episode. Come back for that one. Um, But frustrated, he just hangs up on the cops. <gasps> and he calls his mom. And he... She picks up and he says, Mom... Joan is dead. You have to get over here now. Oh, gosh. I can't imagine getting that phone call from anybody, especially abruptly like that. Yeah, no. After, especially since you were just calling around to the whole family. Looking for her. Yeah. Um, 
So Nate and Jerry actually leave this crime. They don't the crime scene to, to make sure the girls are there. No, they actually leave. They go. They probably were just disgusted already, probably and probably in some sort of shock. Like that's not what you think of, and maybe even thought maybe somebody took abduct- the yeah took the Hon- girls. Honestly, my first instinct would be to find the girls. You Search would, the home. You would think, now. Nah, I guess maybe being a mother, like, that's my first. I was about to say, yeah. That's my first instinct is I see the mom on the floor. I'm like, fuck, where are the girls? That would be my first instinct. That's what I, it kind of was like, stood out to me too. But he actually leaves to go get his mother. And the distance from Joanne to her mom's house is the same distance from Joanne's to the police department. So he picks up his mom and they actually come back and the cops still are not there. Go fucking figure. So does grandma be like, where's my granddaughters? So yes. Does somebody eventually so be like, immediately Jan's mother runs into the house and runs straight to the girl's bedroom and throws back the blood soaked blankets to see the, the, her the girls. girls there. And they're just barely hanging on to life barely oh, breathing oh my gosh so grandma comes and rescues yes them. and of a- course nate's right behind her and in his like franticness and shock of himself he yells at the girls and is like who did this to you and melissa just says one word and she just says bill bill yeah okay kill bill moment <laughs> um who the hell is bill <laughs> <laughs> that's what everybody would like to know. So that's the first name she gives is Bill. Bill. Yeah. That's all she says. Bill. Okay. Carry on, please. Um, so the police arrived to the scene a little bit before 11 a.m. And what time did Nate finally get there at? I was like, the crime happens at four. He finally showed up at like nine. He didn't really give a timeline. So, he just knows that they showed up shortly after he had already come back to the house. Which is asinine, considering how close she lived to the police department. Right. Okay, carry on. Um. I'm just, I'm, I'm irritated. I'm, I'm a lot of emotions. This whole, this whole case is. I know. I've, it's I've, fucked. I've read stuff. I've read it. Just not to this magnitude. Um, but anyways, the police find Joanne Tate face down, beaten, stabbed multiple times, and sodomized with a broom handle. Oh my god. This is a four foot broom handle, and 23 inches of this broom handle have been shoved into Joanne. That's half the fucking broom handle. Yep. Um, Melissa and Renee are both found in their beds, still bleeding, but at least breathing. Um, of course, they're rushed to the hospital immediately, and police collect evidence, uh, many kitchen knives. Uh, obviously, they have one of those kitchen blocks with the knives assortment, yeah, yeah. and I believe the number was five or something. Like, there was only one left in the block. So, this dude was just... He used even her own kitchen knives on her. Yeah. He was just taking the knives right out of the thing and just Going using all of them. And then he washed them. Was- yeah, they're actually still there at the at the crime scene. Oh, how sweet. Um, one of them that was collected was actually used so severely it was bent 
into the shape of a crescent moon and the handle was broken. Oh gosh. Yeah. Oh. Um they collected many blankets. Uh they found some pubic hair. And basically they collect a whole lot of other evidence and we'll get into that. Yeah. Later on. Um but the investigators and family wasted no time questioning Melissa. Um the poor girl's hanging on on for dear life and you're gonna drill her. Yeah. Absolutely. Sounds, sounds familiar. Probably didn't think she was going to survive, and they had to try to get as much information as mm-hmm. they could. Now, I do know at this point the 17-year-old sister had seen Melissa and had asked her, who did this to you? And I think Melissa was, like, a little, like, wish-washy, but she had also just been gone through a lot. She's in the hospital. Surgery just happened. She's on pain medication. And the older sister suggests a guy named Gary, which I think is, like, some cousin or some sorts. You don't really hear a whole lot about him. He is a suspect. But it's just, again, the reference of all the names that Melissa hears and what she's told. Right. Um, Like, she didn't wait for her to answer. She asked, was it Gary? Oh, she didn't ask yeah. who did this and waited. She was like, who did this? Was it Gary? Yeah, she made a reference so to of it. Course, and you're seven-year-old. Her seven-year-old little mind uh-huh. who had just been sexually assaulted and mutilated and then your sister was sexually assaulted and mutilated and you saw mommy was sexually assaulted and mutilated you went through all of that and Mm -hmm. then you're hanging on with literally a drop of life left in your body and then you're asked who did this to you and then you're asked again who did this to you was it this person and she's and it's not just 17 year old sister it's like everybody's coming at you at this point you've been brutally attacked your mom's dead. Your sister, you your, watch. Your you sis- don't know what's going on with your sister right now. Yeah, but she knew her sister was attacked. Yeah. She tried to give her sister water, watching water pour out of her throat as she's trying to drink it. I mean, she witnessed something that no person should ever fucking ever witness in their entire damn life. And then she's being hounded and drilled. Who did it? Yes. No time for recovery, just instantly. Who the fuck did this? And what makes it even worse was at this re- point, Renee couldn't talk. Because her throat was slit. Yeah, so Renee's, like, in very, like, in intensive surgery and whatnot. So they're relying on seven-year-old Melissa. Like, I get it. You guys are trying to, like, find, like, who did it. You want to catch the, the the person who did it. But at the same time, like, you need to leave time for fucking recovery. hmm Oh, my gosh. Carry on. Um, but Melissa was on pain medication, and it was noted because they had to have a social worker there that she was still very alert, even though she was on the pain medication. But within that 12-hour span that they were grilling Melissa at the hospital, she had recanted who it was multiple times. Melissa did? Yeah. Okay. Um, finally, she just said that she was just so tired and wanting to be left alone, she settles with the first name she had given. Okay. Bill. So going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Finally, she's just going back to Bill. Bill. Um. She goes on to tell the investigators that she heard her mom say Bill during the attack and that Bill had actually known their names, had used them when speaking to them, when doing the attacks. Okay. She tells authorities that she has actually been to Bill's house last year. Okay. That he lived by a park, drives a yellow car. And has lots of animals. 
Again, you're seven. You're not going to remember a whole lot. Certain things were going to stick out to you. And I guess of Yellow those, car. those car. all make sense. Yeah. Was Bill in this diary? So that goes back to the evidence. But there was no one named Bill in the diary. Okay. Okay. That's all I'll tell you right now. Okay. I know. I'm trying to jump ahead. I'm trying to jump ahead. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Trying to get you some spoilers. That's all. Um, but the police continue with the investigation. They interrogate everyone around them, uh, everyone around Joanne, including her brother, the boyfriend, neighbors, and ex. Nobody's safe. I think all in all, there was like somewhere between like 30 and 35. I think it was 33 to be exact. Suspects? Suspects? Oh my fucking goodness. Yeah. Um, and they're struggling to find who did this or who is Bill. Yeah. Because they Bill. still don't know who <laughs> Sorry. Bill is. Um, but this detective takes comes back from vacation, and he takes the lead on this case. That's always how it happens. Mm-hmm. It's always the one detective who's like, I got it, guys. But he, his name is Joe Burgoon, and he, <laughs> I know. I, his name. <laughs> as soon as I heard his I laughed at it too. I was rhyming it with all kinds of stuff, but I won't say anything because it's offensive. <laughs> um, but Joe Burgoon took over the case very, very quickly. And he was well-known detective in Missouri and was actually considered a legend and nicknamed Father Homicide. I don't know if I'd want that nickname, Father Homicide. Well, I guess because he worked he, so many homicide cases. Like he was good at cracking them? Yeah. Okay. I guess so. But anyways... May 4th, Burgoon came to the hospital to interview Melissa and Renee for the first time. Okay, so May 4th. The crime happened when? What was the date again? It was April 27th. April. Okay, so not, not many days have gone by. No. Got it. I um, just wanted to see, like, how far, like, she would be, and she's nowhere near a recovery. No. Okay, carry on. Um, let me make sure. That it did say April 27th, right? I believe so. That sounds yeah, right. Yeah, April 27th, 1982. Yeah. Uh, so May 4th. That's my dad's birthday. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Tourist season, stubborns. My nanny was May 5th. <laughs> Go Stubborn. figure. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Just he goes to the hospital Go to ahead. interview them. Okay. Um, Melissa describes Burgoon as a very tall, very nice man. Okay. But she does not trust him at all. Uh-oh. Rightfully so, though, because if I was her at seven years old, I wouldn't trust no man. any man. No man. And we'll talk more about that later, too, as well. Yeah. As part of his evidence. Okay. Um. However, she wanted to help find the man and who did this to her family. So, obviously, she's going to cooperate and do uh, whatever she can. Right. Naturally. It makes sense. Um. Again, she was reported to be on pain medication, but still alert. And Melissa tells Burgoon that last summer they met a man with mom at Hyde Park. Okay. Um, the man was sitting on a bench and his name was Bill. She, Back on the Bill thing. Okay. Yes. Got it. Got it. She goes on to tell them Bill had black hair all the way to his ears. But then moments later says Bill is a skinny, older, white man with short black hair. Black hair to your ears and... Short black hair says the same thing. Depends on what you describe as to your ears. Correct. But then she goes on to say that he drove a Volkswagen 
and they had to drive over bridge to get to his house and that he lived with his mother and she was a drunk and not very nice. Okay. Um, she also said that they had stayed the night and Bill had given her and her sister soda. All things that a typical seven-year-old would remember. Oh, yeah. Every kid's going to remember the time they got a soda. Um, so, basically, at Lost Where to Turn Next, Bargoon goes into Joanne's diary. And he's going through all the descriptions that Joanne has left and whatnot. And he comes across Rodney Lincoln. Uh, Joanne describes that he has black hair. Among many other things she put into her entries, very detailed. But basically he sees Rodney's uh, name and that he has black hair and starts to look into him. And then notices his alarming record and that five years previously he was convicted for burglary. But the bigger red flag, he, in 1973, Rodney was convicted of second degree murder. Oh gosh. Yeah. So this is not... This is not turning out well. Turning well for Rodney. Okay, so we're, we're scooping in on a, a yeah. big suspect at this point. Um, okay. Bagoon takes a lineup photo to the girls. And Melissa takes one look at the photo and points at Rodney and says, that's Bill. Um, so I just want to tell you a little bit about the photo. And the photo was all, it was four men all together. And the, th- the other three men were all red hair, longer hair, and younger. Rodney was the only one in the picture that was older with short black hair. He looked like the only one that was older, but th- I thought there was a guy who had darker hair. But it was like, and it was short, but it was like a perm because it was the 80s. It was like curly to it, in it but it was longer than... It could have been either way. Rodney None of them looked. Yeah, he stood out like a sore thumb. Yeah, and that's very uh, alarming. We'll post that po- that picture up. Um, but on May twenty third, nineteen eighty two, they arrested Rodney. So this is shortly after it happened. Um, wow. When was that? May what? May twenty third. Okay, so we're like almost, almost a, month. a month. Yeah, they instantly are like, all right, he's our man. Rodney lived across from a park with oh. his mother. Oh, no. And so he was charged with capital murder and two counts of first-degree assault. His bond was set to $1 million secured. Oh, wow. That's a really high number for the 80s. Exactly. And at the time, he was only making $40 a week. Salaries yeah. were not high back no. then. Like, so mil- that was just like, you outrageous. You a million dollar for bond nowadays, and people are like, oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Like, a million dollars in the 80s, that's like, they did not want him out. Yeah, no. There he was... wasn't going anywhere. No. Um, but anyways, uh, during the interrogation, he was given a polygraph test and had failed all of the questions, including even when he asked was asked his name. He failed absolutely everything. See, those things they'll also go based off of, like, blood pressure and, like, anxiety levels and shit like that. Like, mm-hmm. of course, he's fucking, like, not this again. Yeah. But his trial begins August 8th, 1983. A whole year yeah. later. And then some. Yeah. And then some. So Melissa was able to provide witness testimony for the trial. Renee was considered to be too young at this time. Yeah, she's four. Now five, probably, by this point. Yes. Um, upon the stand, Melissa presented herself evidently very clearly, confident. And on day eight, the jury go into deliberation. Eight days in, and they're mm-hmm. already deliberating. Yes, correct. 
fuck. They were ready to just be done with it. But two day, it takes them two days. And two days later, they announce that the jury is hung. And seven to five, they, five of them found Rodney not guilty. And the reason being is they just couldn't trust a child's word and find Rodney guilty for such a serious crime. I mean, I'm not, I'm not against that idea with them. I mean, considering the fact of what she all was through, the fact that she was, I mean, they don't know all this stuff though. I mean, they know what she was all through and just going based off of that, what she was gone through. And there's, I will tell you, it will be explained more so later when we go over the evidence, why jurors came across that. Right. But like, just looking at it as a whole picture, not knowing the fact that the poor girl was drilled. From literally the day she was found, Mm -hmm. before she was even went through surgery for recovery, Mm -hmm. before the pain meds, before everything, the poor girl was fucking drilled. Correct. And then just for me, knowing what she went through, knowing the fact that she was seven, I'm sure by the time this trial was, she was probably eight. Like, no, I couldn't. I mean, I get she was the only eyewitness there. She was the only eyewitness there. Renee was only four, now five years old. You definitely can't take that poor girl's word. No. But I feel like that should that re, that Melissa should have been held to that same standard. Well, unfortunately. Next episode, we will definitely dig into as to why they saw against. That. I know. But October third, nineteen eighty three, the second trial begins. Um, and this time, instead of a very diverse jury, it is a jury consisting of twelve white men. Oh, that's terrifying. Uh, There is a new judge and a new witness to the case. A neighbor that supposedly um, is coming forward and saying that he was threatened by the killer. (gasps) And that if he would say anything, this killer would, you know. kill him. Yeah, obviously. Um, He said that the guy was covered in blood and in a disarray. And obviously said that it was Rodney. Um, The prosecuting team made a much larger case about the pubic hair. That was found at this crime scene with the blankets. The Okay, mm-hmm. so they had fucking mm-hmm. physical evidence. And even had forensic scientists testify that the hair found was microscopically similar to Rodney's. Because at this point in time, we don't have DNA testing. No. So how they were able to even really decide that is fucking stupid. But... Correct. Um, the prosecutor took the second chance to paint a more vivid and gruesome case than they had before. When you hear the prosecuting team in their closing statement, it was very moving. Okay. Um, but the defense took their second chance to present a case that was flawed due to an eight-year-old's testimony, which obviously is not going to sit right with some people. Right. Especially 12 white men. Uh, just the fact that they used 12 white men. Yeah. She's terrified this, of... This whole case She's is terrified just of fucked. fucking men, guys. Why yeah. would you do that? Um... But anyways, the defense uh, presented a case that was flawed due to the eight-year-old's testimony and the fact that Rodney's name wasn't Bill and all the inconsistencies in the case altogether. October 7th, 1983, Rodney is found guilty of two counts of deadly assault with a weapon and manslaughter. Mm. Which, obviously, that fucking pissed off Joanne's family. Why did that piss Joanne's family off? Because he was just charged with manslaughter. Not, That's, not homicide, not murder. Yeah, yeah not first-degree murder. 
Um, but anyways, he's sentenced to two life terms for the girls and 15 years for Joanne's murder to be served consecutively. That's stupid that he only got 15 years for Joe. I mean, I know more about the case, but, and I'm not trying to give any spoilers, but the fact that he was given only 15 years for her, for the murder, but mm-hmm. life sentences for the girls, it should have been the other way around. I think it was just due to... It, but even Joanne was killed in so much brutality, even with, with her case. But I think the fact that it was done to these children stood out more. Um, but it was murder. You Life sentences and murder. Manslaughter, murder, I don't fucking care. A, 15 years... Dig, if I found out somebody manslaughtered somebody at that at the end of the day, that's fucking murder. And I was told all they had is 15 years. Well, this will not be the only thing that shocks you. I and know. obviously next I episode know. we will go over more evidence, more interrogation, and Rodney himself. Yes. Yes. But that's it for tonight, y'all. Um, I'm going to leave you on that cliffhanger, yeah. you guys. Get excited for that next episode. You'll have to come back. Hopefully I have a better drink option for next <laughs> Yes, please give her a better drink I option. I need some drink options, you guys. Um, like I said, you can find us on the Instagram there and drop your drop your drinks. Drop your drinks. <laughs> oh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hit up t- was that Tipsy Bartender on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> See what he's got. Mm-hmm. Um, right. otherwise you guys are gonna keep hearing about my Moscato adventures. Maybe I'll try just different brands of Moscato. I've done that already. You'll still go back to Barefoot. Of course. You know, Barefoot, just, hey, Barefoot, <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. Um, mm. But yeah, I look forward to hearing the rest of this. This, this story, I've, I've read on it a little bit. I've heard the bits and pieces. I have not tapped into the podcast yet, but I've great reviews I hi- on that podcast. Yeah, I highly recommend it. And yes. there just came out with a second season, too, which I've not start to listen to yet but i'm excited for it too as well of course you are like but, i said you are the true crime lady yep <laughs> so there is that um but yeah this is exciting i'm excited for the i'm excited for part two i can't wait to hear the rest of this stuff and i have some things that i'm i'm was very big on that i can't wait to try and talk about with that but yeah all right thanks guys bye, bye.